0: Welcome to the Nifty Chicks. In this episode, we speak with Elena Obakova, the CEO and founder of Flashback.com and organizer for SupermoonCamp.com. She shares her journey into crypto, how she had her Bitcoin taken from her by the FBI, and what she's doing to bring crypto-curious, like-minded individuals together. Let's do this.
1: Welcome to the Nifty Chicks. I am excited that we have with us today Elena Obakova. She is the co-founder and CEO of Flashback.com. She is also organizer for SupermoonCamp.com. She has quite an extensive background in crypto and blockchain. She also has an interesting story about her Bitcoin being taken by the FBI in the early years of crypto. So welcome to the Nipsey Chicks, Elena. Um, We're excited to have you here today. Hi, everyone. It's
2: really exciting to be here today.
1: Awesome. So I gave a little bit about your bio, but why don't you give us a little bit more detail about what you're up to and how you got into this crazy world of crypto and blockchain and Uh, Bitcoin
2: well it's all started uh, earlier in 2014 when there was a a second Bitcoin wave and uh, I came across and I like to say I got exposed to Bitcoin at that moment as many other people we had no idea where the market is going to be heading to and uh, for me uh, having a like I have a traditional background like traditional finance background and i was always really excited about our new technologies so i couldn't just miss on bitcoin obviously it was where finance and technology uh, meets so when i saw bitcoin for the first time i was thinking wow it's uh it seems quite interesting and um The more I started researching, the more I started understanding uh, how much value it can bring to our community, to society and help uh, solving lots of problems with uh, financial inclusion and helping uh, more people to get access uh, to financial markets. And uh, then later in 2017, I started uh, getting uh, like more involved in the crypto space on the professional level. At that moment, I was living in China, so I was advising uh, lots of blockchain and crypto projects on how to get access uh, to uh, local uh, Asian markets uh, and uh, especially uh, Chinese market understanding local uh, regulations, uh, how to, yeah, build the community there and get access to users. Uh, A bit later, I moved uh, to Bangkok uh, and joined the United Nations. I was advising them on how to use blockchain technology for financial inclusion in uh, Asian markets. Uh, That that wasn't a really long journey because I started understanding whatever I suggest uh, is just sitting on a table and uh, never uh, getting into action. And I understood that, of course, are big companies and corporations, are, they can't change uh, the world uh, because they simply don't understand uh, how it works. They are thinking a lot more on a macro scale and uh, when you're trying to uh to change your uh, situation for individuals uh, to improve financial inclusion you have to uh, think a lot on the micro scale and uh, that's how i started my consulting company at that moment i uh, moved to south korea uh, started working with uh, lots of crypto uh, and blockchain startups are uh, helping them to grow and to scale uh, since then, I was also traveling a lot, moving from country to country, even ended up living in Latin America for a year and a half in Argentina. <laughs> and uh, one year ago, I uh, started uh, a new journey and decided to build my own tech uh, startup uh, that is Flashback.one uh, that starts as our NFT ticketing. And apart from that, I'm just uh, always happy to share some experience with community, mentor startups, and help them to start uh, with their journey and understand why uh, crypto is so important and how it can change uh, um, can change the way uh, people transact and uh, do financial transactions.
0: That's an incredible journey that you have. I feel like you've already lived nine lives. Um
2: right. <laughs> like, I lived in nine countries. So. I know, I saw that. It's that's super, amazing. Super impressive.
0: Super impressive. <laughs> and I would love to hear from you because um I missed the first Bitcoin wave. And even when Bitcoin was becoming popular a couple of years ago, again, um, I still found it incredibly hard to understand. So, and that was already while, you know, things were starting to become far more established than they were in 2014. So help me understand, like take me back into your mindset um, in 2014 when this is so new and so much of the world had never heard of it. What made you think like, Oh, yeah, this is going to be a good idea. Welcome to the nifty chicks. Hi, minty cell. How are you?
1: Hi, GenFT. I'm good. How are you?
0: I am good. And I'm really excited about our interview with Elena. She is so smart. I mean, she's just incredible. Just I know
1: incredible. MIT grad. I mean, she's been in Bitcoin and crypto for shoot, almost 10 years now.
0: It's crazy. That's right. I mean, her story about getting involved in crypto when it was two hundred or three hundred or four hundred dollars. I mean, what? <laughs> Amazing. I
1: know. I I only wish I knew then, what I know now.
0: <laughs> I know only for that did, to get taken away from her in twenty eighteen. I know. When, I know. Can you that's imagine what that growth had been like? I mean, yeah, that's that's an oh, yeah. ouchy moment for sure. Yeah. But she learned from it. I mean, what I loved about her attitude is that she learned from it and what did wasn't right. super mad about it or like angry or she well, was just I mean, like, what, really you what, what
1: can you do? What can you do? I mean, you have to kind of accept it.
0: Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I could ever accept that.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, would you really just let it like drag you down for the rest of your life though? Like just
0: go make I one. might. Yeah. I might. <laughs>
1: All, All right. right. Well, let's I go ahead. Let
0: you know. <laughs> let's go ahead and bring her in. Let's do it.
2: I mean, to be honest, it's very hard to say that, oh, yeah, of course, I've foreseen that Bitcoin uh, will grow into something bigger, right? No one knew it. And whoever will say that they predicted it, uh, I don't believe it. <laughs> no one knew. Everyone wanted to try. Well, so Satoshi now, may have, right? Yeah, Satoshi may <laughs> <have it. laughs> He tried to build it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hopefully and, he uh, had keep- the vision. <laughs> absolutely and uh he knew like where like we should be heading to uh no one else you know everyone else uh just i don't i think like just decided to try new technology and same was uh, with me i uh decided why not buy some new digital currency and uh then i started learning more i started understanding that there is way more potential for people to get access uh, to financing outside of um outside of banking. And uh, at that moment I was uh, still living in Russia and uh, you know, like Russia has lots of problems as many other countries country with corruption, uh, with uh, failing banking systems and um, just inefficiencies. So I saw like having a digital uh, money uh, that people can uh, mint uh, by themselves, it can change our situation completely. Of course, uh, that's the way how people can get access to financial freedom. And uh, that what uh, was really exciting for me, even though I didn't fully understand it. It was a very new technology and uh, no one understood it. But there was something there. There was a potential. There was a strong vision. And uh, I just thought it's something to, to delve into. That's amazing. So... I,
1: I have to hear. I mean, I'm sure you've told the story before, but I have to hear what happened with the FBI seizing your Bitcoin. Like, what's what's the story there?
2: Like everyone loves this story. I, I'm always saying, like, I paid a lot of money to have this story.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> I bet you did. I bet you did.
2: So in 2014, when I was uh, purchasing my first uh, bitcoins, so, there were. Two like, ways to buy Bitcoin, it's either empty Gox or BTC. I mean, there were obviously more ways to buy Bitcoin, but I would say it's uh, pretty straightforward and the simplest ways that were available on the market. empty Gox and, where, and where were you
1: living at the time? At the moment I was living in Russia, yeah. Okay. So I want to know
0: also, um, take us back to, I was not part of Bitcoin or familiar with Bitcoin. How much was one single Bitcoin in 2014? Do you remember?
2: It was between $200 and $800 yeah. for my uh, Bitcoin. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Oh, oh. gosh. That's so cool.
1: <laughs> I mean, so, yeah. as much as I wouldn't want to go back there today, it would be nice to go back there for like a day. And I'd just like buy, Bitcoin buy it all up. <laughs> and then be up. like, okay, then we go back to... <laughs> <laughs> just okay. buy them
2: all.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now, now that I know how much it was worth and how much I'm regretting not knowing about Bitcoin, carry on. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, for me, it didn't really uh, change anything, right? Because the FBI <laughs> came into the game and just took it. But yeah, so at that moment, there were two exchanges, MTGox and BTCE. So I decided to choose BTCE. Uh, later, I believe it was. Uh, maybe beginning of 2017, I might uh, mess up dates. So I don't want to say it wrongly. But our uh, MTGOX uh, was the first one to be like shut down. And mm-hmm. I was like so happy. I was like, wow, I did a really good choice. I uh, picked BTC. BTC is still there. So it didn't come to my mind that uh, centralized exchange is not providing you any security. So it doesn't provide you ownership over your crypto it didn't i was thinking wow i picked the right website right. no new anything i didn't do as much research and i would say like even if i did that much research i don't think like you can learn it uh, from just reading it on a website you're learning it from uh, your personal experience mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you've got to have a bad one <laughs> To, to start realizing and start learning and understanding how important ownership is. So, later in 2018, I'm opening a website, a BTC website, and uh, seeing a very exciting message that FBI uh, shut down uh, BTC exchange and all funds were seized i was so shocked i i couldn't believe uh, what i'm seeing i tried to get access to the website i tried to get access to my wallet on btc but i didn't really succeed i know that some of my friends were able to recover maybe 15 to 20 percent uh, of uh, the lost funds on btc uh i tried i didn't get any recovery I, I i always say i didn't really try hard enough i uh, thought it's a lesson i needed to learn because when i was initially buying bitcoins obviously i was buying um amount that i was willing to lose because again it was our first experience i wanted to try out a new technology so in 2018 right. when i started realizing that uh the world is changing and uh, there are way more uh, opportunities behind uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general. Uh, I learned that lesson, and uh, now I'm saying, yeah, I paid lots of money to have the story.
0: <laughs> wow, that is so. Exactly have, a story. have they?
2: Sorry,
1: Jenna. Have they? Um, have they done anything? Because I thought with Mount Gox, there was still like ongoing talks. Uh, like I've heard from people that um, may potentially get at least. A portion of their Bitcoin back from Mt. Gox after.
2: Yeah, you, it's a good anything? word. They may. <laughs> so we oh, may yeah. receive something back, but I'm not yeah, really I hoping mean, for it. It's, uh, you know, it's like it's a situation where people have to learn uh, that whenever you are storing uh, money on centralized exchange on a bank, uh, this money doesn't belong to you. They belong to centralized institutions they belong to banks they can belong to fbi and government but not you (laughs) you are the last person who has an ownership over these funds uh so yeah there might be like a small number of people who will recover their funds and as i mentioned like one of my friends uh succeeded to get uh, 15 or 20 percent uh not that much but also if you're exchanging it in the current uh exchange rate uh it's still not that bad (laughs) But right. still, only 15 to 90%. I mean, FBI Mono kind of keeps us big cards. I know. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, man, they
0: they made out in this deal pretty right. well. <laughs> <laughs> Holy smokes. Yeah, oh, huh. man. Wow, because that's... of money laundering, right? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Of course oh it is. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So you obviously have an eye for like, the future. You have an eye for technology. You can see and you can visualize how um, technology can change the world. And it's that's an incredible gift. Not everyone has the ability to do that. And I think I, I can I can see, uh, you know, into the future, but not nearly as much as you can, um, obviously. So that's so if we take that further today um, and we'll get into all the great things that you're doing right now, but where do you see crypto going, um, you know, in the future? What does it look like?
2: So like from what you're saying that I, I have a long term vision, I would say it's more like a feeling like you don't really know where it's going to, but you feel that there is something in it. And then you start analyzing uh, actual problems sir, that are existing on the market. And for me, there was a very awakening experience when I was working for the United Nations and I was working there as a data scientist uh, in the department for financial inclusion. So I was suggesting what are FinTech applications or crypto applications we can use in order to improve our financial inclusion in a certain region. And I was working with our large uh, data sets of uh, individuals' data and that's when i started realizing uh what kind of problems are existing there and why banks cannot solve them uh i saw that people uh like lots of people in the poor regions uh, don't have uh, either government id or certain papers to open a bank account or they have a very even like a simpler problem uh atm is so far away so you cannot reach it you cannot uh, do any bank transactions because uh you simply don't have access uh, to a bank But almost uh, every, I would say every household have access uh, to at least one phone. And almost uh, every household has access to a smartphone, either it's uh, within their family or through their neighbors. And that makes it way easier to do uh, cryptocurrency-based transactions. So they don't really need to open a bank account. Uh, Cryptocurrency exchanges, especially if uh, they go for decentralized ones, are not going to ask them for any KYC. They don't need to submit their government papers in order to do peer to peer transactions. And uh, that's when I started realizing uh, that uh, crypto and blockchain uh, can help to improve uh, the standards of uh, basic living for individuals in Southeast Asia. And then when I started traveling and uh, moving from place to place, I saw that it's not only about Asia, it's about the whole world. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we're looking to other use cases, uh, and I like bringing up uh, examples of Nigeria and Argentina. In Nigeria, for example, uh, they have lots of saving and uh, uh, lending-based financial uh, products uh, within the cash economy. So they're using cash transactions uh, for financial products that are imitating uh, decentralized DeFi markets and actually I would say it's vice versa. Uh, it's uh, completely opposite, it's uh, DeFi that imitating. take. There's also really pre-existing financial products within cash economy in Nigeria. When you have group savings and uh, every member of a community allocating certain amount of money and uh, then you can simply uh, borrow or uh, lend money uh, within your community. Argentina is another example where a government puts so many restrictions. So you cannot buy uh, U.S. dollars. You have a limit of $200 per month uh, that you can purchase uh, from a bank. And on top of that, you're paying uh, 25% uh, tax in order to buy a foreign currency. Uh, then you're looking at inflation. For example, this month, uh, I believe FASA dropped... Uh, Thirty percent or close to thirty percent within just one month, and uh, that, uh, of course, is very uh, difficult for people for trying to save for uh, their money uh, and uh, have uh, like protect themselves from inflation. And where they're going, they're going to OTC markets to purchase cryptocurrency. Of course, Bitcoin right. helps them to protect themselves from inflation. And these simple examples are started uh, forming a whole picture when I started realizing that uh, we're transforming from our uh, centralized systems in a more decentralized uh, transaction and more decentralized financial system where individuals have more power, where individuals uh, have a vote and a voice, they can say, uh, we don't need the banking application. We can do a peer-to-peer transactions without responding to any other questions from centralized institutions. We also can do our own savings. We also can do our own investing. We can uh, decide how we want to and when we want to transact. And we don't need to pay anyone any commission. And I think that's a very beautiful part of cryptocurrency. So I definitely see a shift uh, moving from centralized structures to more decentralized ones. And uh, developed economies are not going to be leading this game. It will be coming from uh, developing economies where people actually experiencing uh, severe problems uh, in the banking sector. Venezuela? Yeah, Venezuela is also a really yeah. good example. You can use cryptocurrency right now to pay uh, in shopping malls for your parking lots and uh, just daily operations. I,
1: right. I, I mean, I'm like, Amen to you and what you're doing and and all of this because I, I mean, like for me even I don't even know the last time I went into a bank. There's there's just no reason for it, really. I mean, I can you know, FT and I transfer money to each other all the time. I just paid my my dog's groomer today. I mean, that's PayPal. But like, there's just no reason for us to be giving money to the banks that then loaned out, loan out our money and make millions off of our money when we could be making money off our own money. You know, it's, Absolutely. It's mind-boggling to me that we've all participated in this for so many years and just let them, you know, make billions, yeah.
2: trillions. And then when crisis hits and you're coming and asking for your money back from a bank, what bank is saying to you, oh, I'm so sorry you cannot withdraw your money. Great.
0: That's yeah. happening everywhere, um, including yeah. crypto space, um, yeah. which I think is is scary, I think. Yeah, interesting. And I also see... I love that. Um, I also hear a lot of fear around moving to a decentralized world given the lack of accountability and lack of support that you can have, right? Um, You know, you can't sue someone if there's no central place to sue, right? There's no, you know, you can't hold them accountable or you can't. So how do you, how do you see that coming to play? Like, um, the cons where the accountability is taken away because there is no centralized place to call. Sometimes these places don't even have, uh, you know, a phone number to call or like to, you know, support. Yeah, you, can't, um, you can't call Bitcoin. Can't, you can't <laughs> call Bitcoin, right? So how do you see that playing into this uh, kind of more move to decentralized?
2: I think it all comes from a personal responsibility. And uh, now people are... Uh, used to rely on uh, centralized institutions. Uh, let's use the example with a bank. Uh, if uh, you were charged by some random subscriptions that you forgot to unsubscribe from, uh, you're not going to admit your fault, right? You're going to be texting your bank and saying, hey, can you ask uh, for a refund? I didn't approve this transaction. But you actually did because you subscribed for, let's say, a uh, monthly subscription for uh, one year okay. upfront. And uh, you're going to be complaining to your bank and your bank will go ahead, uh, will charge merchant, will refund your money back. And merchant is the one uh, that is uh, having trouble. Uh, I think like a big problem here is education. So we're uh, telling people that they don't need to take any uh, responsibilities for their actions. They can just Mm -hmm. rely on centralized institutions. that are going to protect them. And I'm always saying that this protection uh, is coming at a cost because no one wants to protect you because they're nice people. And I'm talking it at almost every single <laughs> panel where I'm at. Uh, people are not trying to protect you because they're nice They have their own agenda. And uh, mm-hmm. corporates uh, and uh, institu- like centralized institutions, they want you to be dependent because that's how they earn money. Because uh, the more you use them, the more you rely on them, the more money you're uh, depositing uh, at your account. And obviously, they're earning money uh, from you. And I think the biggest problem is education. When we need to start teaching people how... To take uh, your own responsibilities, how to learn how you can protect yourself, uh, how to do transactions, how to make sure that you are not uh, being scammed, how to check transactions. And blockchain gives us all this transparency. You can actually uh, go ahead and uh, check if you are sending to a right wallet. You don't need anyone else to check it for you you can check it on your own. You can also do it same with OpenSea. OpenSea is like helping you to do it with a verified mark. But instead of that, you actually should learn how to check uh, address of uh, initial like companies that mean that are uh, those entities instead of relying on a centralized institution and then complaining. So I think the biggest problem here is that people are tend to rely uh, on uh, institutions when uh, instead they should learn how to protect themselves and uh, gain more power over their finances. I'm
0: not sure the masses love personal accountability. So <laughs> I think you might get some yeah. uh, hesitation because it's so much easier to just blame other people. Isn't that really? the, the reality of our world, unfortunately, and our society is... Um, you know, if, if we're in a pickle, we pick up the phone and we call that bank or we call that organization or that institution and, and we tell them to fix it. Right. And the second we tell everyone, and I mean like everyone, once we, you know, move towards more of a mass adoption, oh, there's no one to call, but yourself, you need to look at like what your habits are and, and what you're doing, um, and figure out what, what went wrong and fix it yourself. I think that's okay. going to be tough and challenging.
2: I think it's, uh, that's why I said that developing economies will be the one uh, leading the game because uh, in the uh, US, when I'm talking uh, to people here, uh, they don't really understand how banks can scam them. But if I talk to people in Argentina, there will be not They're, a single yeah, doubt I know. when their accounts were frozen by banks before, when their savings were used to pay a government debt. Uh, they will never put their savings on the bank account right. and uh, you don 't even need to explain to people in Argentina why centralized exchanges are uh, is not a safe way uh, to keep your funds. they already know it they will have a cold wallet you right. don 't need to explain them, and yeah. that 's why i'm I'm thinking that people have to sometimes go through like kind of learn hard way uh yeah. to learn how to protect themselves and that 's why like People need to realize what is financial freedom and uh, what can happen to them if they keep uh, relying and trusting uh, centralized institutions in the long term. Of course, now everyone is happy, but uh, inflation in the United States is also growing. And uh, it cannot be uh, like, like banks cannot work forever in the ways they're working right now when there are so many uh, like underlying uh, conditions uh, that can put them out of business. And the uh, government right now is uh, uh, helping uh, to pay out and uh, bail them out from any crisis conditions as they used to do. But the government will not have funds forever to bail every single bank.
1: What do you mean, we can just print more? yeah
2: (laughs) yeah i think this is a really as long as we
1: have ink and paper we're fine
2: (laughs) i think this is a really good start using it in the toilet right (laughs) um i think this is a
0: really great moment to transition to some of the projects that you're doing specifically um the supermoon camp that you are involved in so tell us a little bit about that because a lot of what you've shared and you've discussed with us today kind of ties into what that is all about so share with, with us what you're doing there
2: yeah so uh with supermoon camp we also started realizing that uh, we need to build a stronger community of uh, like-minded uh, individuals or that share same beliefs in a space or that believe in decentralization and uh, want to share these ideas with each other and see how we can make an industry stronger. And uh, that's how uh, Supermoon Camp started. And within Supermoon Camp, organizing obviously other camps. When we're renting uh, a huge house, uh, we stay together during major conferences uh, in different locations. Like, for example, one of the camps was uh, during Miami Bitcoin 2022. Uh, the other camp was just recently during consensus and we were all staying together and uh exchanging our ideas daily discussing how uh we can improve uh, what's going on in the industry because uh we can talk about cryptocurrency helping people but is it really helping right now no it's still so far away cryptocurrency also became more and more centralized we're still relying on uh, uh cloud servers uh, where the biggest provider is aws there are still so many problems within the crypto industry that we need to start solving in order to come back to our initial vision to satoshi vision and how we can uh reach financial freedom for society and uh uh, within uh, Supermoon Camp, we started organizing even more events. Uh, we uh, launched uh, one of the first events, uh, mini-moon events uh, during Consensus. And Core Telegraph uh, wrote that it's uh, better than uh, Consensus itself. Uh, wow. That, <laughs> that event gathered 1,000 people. We were aiming for wow. 300, 400. But we had 1,000 people at wow. our mentioned oh, event. Wow and nice. uh lots of people came there were vcs there were founders uh, everyone was really really happy because vcs uh found um, talented uh, entrepreneurs sir, that are building exciting projects in the space uh founders obviously were able to connect with each other build uh, long-lasting relationships and partnerships and uh we were receiving so many messages afterwards sir, thanking us for gathering such a a great crowd of uh, people that are like building serious projects in the space and not just uh, trying to seize hype.
0: That's awesome. awesome.
1: So the NFT ticketing platform, flashback one, definitely um, I'm intrigued by that because I'm all about concerts and I really think that NFTs are the future of events And whether it be music events, you know, art events, gaming, sports, whatever the event is, I just feel like there's so many things that you can do with NFTs and ticketing and engagement and building community and all those things. So just tell me a little bit about Flashback One and and how that all came about.
2: So we started uh, with their vision or uh, they want to bring their paper-based tickets uh, like in the uh, kind of like I would say uh, collection side of a paper-based tickets back in their ticketing space. Of course, uh, after pandemic, lots of uh, organizers uh, started switching into their QR codes and uh, it's really boring. Like people don't want to collect uh, QR codes. And majority of my friends uh, turned out to have a collection of paper-based tickets. For example, one of my close friends uh, here from New York has a gigantic book of Broadway tickets from every single show she ever been to. And uh, she was so frustrated when three months ago she went uh, to one of the shows and uh, they just gave, you, gave her a QR code. And uh, there was no way like she could add it to her uh, collection. Right she was calling me and saying, uh, like, guys, when are you going to start working with Broadway? I kind of want to continue my saying with the collections. (laughs) And uh, I started realizing that um, NFT technology brings our, it has uh, a lot of uh, potential to add this utility to a ticketing space. And uh, on top of that, we can start protecting both sides from fakes. Organizers from uh, people who are Uh, faking tickets uh, and trying to sneak uh, to different events without ever paying. Of course, for organizers, it's a loss. It's also lots of trouble at the entrance uh, when people are trying to get in without uh, paying for tickets. And uh, at the same time, there are so many cases when uh, consumers are just purchasing a fake ticket and obviously they cannot get uh, to a show that they like because uh, they don't have a real ticket. So we're protecting both sides uh, from this bad experience and making sure that they can come to event event uh, and uh, simply enjoy it without any other hassle. Uh, and on top of that, uh, NFT technology allowing so much engagement and actually allowing you to build a community. And this community doesn't live far on a centralized platform. Even though we're very web tool right now, uh, of course, we believe uh, that the way we can onboard uh, the vast majority of people who have no idea about Metamask, crypto, NFTs, we're trying to make it very simple for them to onboard. But at the same time, explaining to them how they can uh, learn about Web3, why Web3 is important, what is NFT, and how they can use it for their benefit. But uh, as I mentioned, our community itself is not living uh, on a flashback. It's living on the blockchain. So organizers right now have a freedom and power and ownership over their community. Of course, uh, whatever happens in the future, they always have access sorry, to their community through blockchain. And uh, they can add more engagement and um, features uh, that will help them to stay in touch with their community. So we started uh, expanding into joint loyalty programs, allowing uh, organizers and uh, merchants like restaurants, bars, galleries, to partner up with each other and uh, form uh, cross-partnerships, whereas they can redirect their customers without uh, having any additional marketing expenses. So if you're an event organizer, you can partner up with a bar or with a restaurant, and you can say, if you visited our show, you're also getting a 20% discount for a dinner afterwards. Or uh, you can get to happy hours and get additional discount uh, before going uh, for our Broadway show. Uh, There can be so many different ways that you can engage with your community. And you can also incentivize uh, people to come earlier by giving them additional drops. Uh, You can also give them additional tickets or invitations if you see that they're loyal and they keep visiting your location over and over again. Uh, mm-hmm. so we're giving our opportunity, uh, for, uh, brands, businesses, uh, to build this community and, uh, have this community measurable because that's an important part of a business. And, uh, it also can help businesses, uh, to expand, to grow, uh, get more investments because they can show, uh, numerical numbers, uh, for how many people they have in their community and how many people are constantly visiting their events so it can help them to grow and explore different locations so if they need to move from one place in let's say new york uh they can do it because uh, they still are in touch with their community that's awesome i think it's like like
0: such a a perfect like i mean marriage of all the things that nfts are bringing to this world um, between like proof of ownership, um, you know, uh, community building, um, you know, uh, uh, essentially access and membership and and deals and discounts. It's like a lot of those things combined into one platform, which I think is is really cool. What you built,
2: yeah, and it's all I, about I, collaboration over competition. Yes, Love yes. It that's awesome and uh,
1: the possibilities are limitless i feel like there you can pretty much do anything once you like got that nft in your customer's wallet you you can do anything to surprise and delight them right bring them
2: back absolutely and that's the way like people can also join uh, the web 3 space uh through something very simple like initially uh so many people started exploring uh crypto through nfts of uh, course uh, mm-hmm. they saw some interesting digital artworks and it was very easy for them to understand so we believe uh, in a uh, similar approach we want to give uh, something so simple like tickets uh, loyalty programs rewards uh that people already know about and uh, then they can start learning about crypto about web three, and decentralization
1: love it Well, is there anything else that you want to be sure to share with the audience about what you're doing and what the future holds?
2: I mean, there are a lot of things, honestly, going (laughs) on, and I'm always happy to chat uh, with people. I keep supporting founders. Uh, I do uh, occasional uh, mentorship, Uh, not during this summertime. It turns really, really busy with our whole events happening uh but I do support uh, founders. Uh they can always reach out to me on LinkedIn uh or go to my personal website that is uh, obokova, uh like the spelling of my surname uh dot co and uh reach out to me, have a conversation, explore more about the projects and uh join Supermoon Camp uh community. There are more people uh, who are always willing uh, to give their uh, support or uh, tour to talented individuals that are building projects in space. That's
1: awesome. That's awesome. And and we'll be sure, we'll have all those in the show notes for everybody to have easy access to connect with you. Um, So I just want to say thank you for being on this show. This has been uh, very informative and have had a great time chatting with you. Thank you so
0: much for having me today. Um, Wow, I mean, like, She's amazing. She's super brilliant. And she's lived in nine different countries. I mean, how cool is that?
1: That is so cool. That's so cool. Um, And I can imagine she has all kinds of stories about those nine different countries that we didn't even get a chance to get into.
0: I know. I feel like I could have talked to her for hours and I love her perspective on like where the space is going and like there are pros and cons to everything. Right. And um, to kind of hear her talk about kind of what the vision looks like. And and ultimately the super moon camp is going to bring everyone together to kind of help educate people. Cause she, like she said, and like we've talked about, one of the biggest issues is, is uh, education around like what crypto is, how, how it's going to evolve over time, what that means for us. So I think super moon, in fact, I have it up on my screen. I'm going to be actually uh, joining as well. Cause I just want to learn more.
1: Yeah. I agree. 100%. So yeah, I think everything she's doing is super cool. Um, You know me, I love the whole ticketing aspect of things. And especially after being at NFT NYC um, and having just ticketing issues with getting into, you know, all the ancillary events. I think that, I think there's a a really big need for someone to come into that space. And I, and I really love the whole NFT you know, comp compilation of the NFT with ticketing. And cause like, like she was talking about her friend that was saving all their Broadway tickets. And now they can't because they got a QR code. And I actually used to save all my tickets and Me too. like they, I mean, it takes up space and like, what are you really going to do with them? And how often do you actually go through them? But if they were in a wallet on your phone where you could be like, oh, yeah, remember this show and that show and yeah. whatever. I, I love the whole thing. So um, I think that was awesome. And you know what else I think is awesome? is what? when people leave us reviews on yes. their favorite podcast player, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, we would love it if you'll leave us a review. Ideally, it's a five-star review, but I understand if you, you know, don't have it in your heart to give us a five-star review, (laughs) we'll we'll take whatever it is. I mean, hopefully you are say nice things about us, but, you know, if you don't, we might just go cry in our corners or something.
0: (laughs) We might, we might. At least we'll listen to your feedback though, but we do want for to sure, we will. So If we're not, let us know what we could do better for sure. That's right. All right. And as always, thank you so much for listening to the Nifty Chicks. Always remember, invest in yourself. You are worth it.